0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Prodigal. The parable of the father and his two sons in Luke 15 graphically displays the gospel and human sin, the gracious heart of the father, the wandering heart of the younger son, and the judgmental heart of the older brother. Today we're going to be continuing our look at the parable in Luke chapter 15 that's often called the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, It's really the story of the father and two sons, uh, and all three of them are prodigal in different ways. Um, And so we're going to be uh, talking about that from Luke chapter 15 uh, today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the time to read the text It's rather long, but uh, if nothing else that is said by me uh, over the next uh, 40 minutes or so is the word of God. When I read this, it will be the word of the Lord. So I encourage you to uh, hear along. You can follow along in the screens. It's also in the booklet there in front of you. So hear now the word of the living God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, uh, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. A few years ago, I watched the movie and then out of it read the novel, Uh, A River Runs Through It. It's a really great movie if you've never seen it because if for no other reason, the scenery is absolutely fantastic from up in Montana. And it's a story of two brothers who in the the case of this story are actually close with one another they're not like the older and younger son here where there's a problem between them they get along pretty well but they're very very different one of the brothers is a rule keeper wants to do everything to please his dad he tries to follow the rules the other one is a wild and free spirit and he's constantly getting himself in trouble he's constantly fighting against the father and the father is actually a presbyterian minister in the story um And I was just reminded of as I was reading this because of that story which is fairly common, that two sons having the same parents but seeing them very different, responding to them very differently from one another because of something that's going on inside the children. And so in this parable, we looked at the father last time. We're now gonna be looking at each of the sons and we're gonna see that these sons are very different from one another. But in a certain sense, one thing is the same. They're both alienated from their father, they're just alienated for different reasons. There's something going on in each of them because both of them have misunderstood their father and both of them are therefore having deep problems. So today we'll look at the younger son, next week the elder son. We want to consider today what's the younger son's story, what's going on, but even more important than that, why is he doing what he's doing? Too often we stop at saying, is this activity right or wrong? rather than asking, why are we doing what it is that we're doing? Because when we understand the why of what the younger son is doing, we'll see why what the the father's heart towards him really is. So let's dive into the younger son's story. Now, as I mentioned last time, the story begins. When this man's got two sons, and they're they're very different as we're going to see in the story, the younger one comes to the father and he says, Dad, give me my share of the estate. Now, the the younger son's going to receive one-third of the estate by law. That's the way it's set up. The older son gets a double portion from all the others. So since there's two of them, the older son will get two-thirds, the younger son will get one-third. And that's all set, and apparently the father's got enough wealth that that should be good to take care of him. But the younger son can't wait. He wants his inheritance now. And as I mentioned last time, this is really rude and shameful. I mean, basically, he's saying, Dad, how long are you going to keep sucking air? When are you going to move on here and die? Let me get my stuff. It's terribly rude. Now, if you think about it, all of us who've been parents or grandparents, you realize that sometimes when they're really young, they try to get stuff out of you, right? And when they're young, it's kinda cute. I mean, I have grandchildren now sometimes who are not allowed to play with electronics, but they will climb up in Papa's lap when they see me have electronics. And I know they're not really after Papa at that moment. They're really wanting, they saw that I had my phone or my iPad, and they're wanting to play with it. But I don't really get angry, because when you're three and you behave that way, Parents will let you get away with it. But it's not the same thing. If one of my grown children wanted to climb into my lap, first off, that would be a problem. Secondly, if they were looking at me and saying, Dad, I want you to give me this and you're not wanting to, I would be telling them, grow up. Right? It's different. This young son is a grown man. And yet, he's got the audacity to say, Dad, I don't really care about you. I just want your stuff. Give me what is mine. Now, amazingly, the father divides the property and lets the son have the stuff. So that's one of the first major turns in this parable that we're shocked by is that Jesus uh, portrays the father as allowing this. But secondly, the son not only gets the stuff, when he gets it, he takes the money and runs. Notice what he does in verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and while living. Notice Every point that Jesus makes is kind of important here. He's got the money, but even having the money is not enough. What he wants to do is he wants to get away. And so notice he doesn't leave anything behind. He's letting the Father know, I not only didn't care about you, I cared about the stuff, I want to get away from you and I'm going to get So much away from you, I'm not going to leave anything behind. I gather everything I've got because once I go, I'm making a clean break. I'm not going to be back here. I believe life exists away from you, not with you. And notice, he doesn't even, to make it worse towards the Father, he doesn't even just move across town. If it were here in Annapolis, he doesn't just move down the road to Bowie or Crofton. No, he goes to a faraway country. In every way, he's signaling to the dad, I am not interested in relationship with you. I believe that being with you and being in your presence is cramping my style. It's not letting me be who I want to be. And so, and notice when he gets there, we're told he sets off for this country and there squanders his wealth and wild living. As soon as he gets away from the father, he starts shifting and changing who he is. Now that's kind of the point for him. He thinks he's somebody different than he can be in the presence of his father. He thinks that's where he's going to find his joy as we're going to come back and see. And so he goes off and he does this. But it's a very common thing. If you ever watch, or if you're a young person you face this temptation yourself, be wary of wanting to get away from everything you have known and everyone that has ever cared for you. Because usually when you get off, you don't stay the same person. You, you find yourself usually in deep, And so this young man squanders everything. And I want you to notice it even tells us that he squandered it all. Everything he had, he squanders. At any point, he could have awakened and said, you know what? I've I've burned through half my inheritance. I need to take the other half and I need to go back home and get reestablished and do this. But does he do that? No. No, because he keeps thinking and believing he's going to find it. See, but this is what sin always does to us. And that's the picture that's going on here. Sin always convinces you and me that the satisfaction and joy we crave is just another couple steps further ahead. If you just go just a little bit longer, I know it hasn't worked yet, but just a little bit more, you're going to get what it is you're looking for. And that's exactly what the younger son is doing. But see, sin never delivers on its promises ever and so the young man doesn't get better he ends up in utter destitution notice in verses 14 to 16. after he had spent everything there's a severe famine in the country he begins to be in need he hires himself out we're told to feed pigs and it's so bad he's even longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one's giving him anything so so notice here First off, all the money is gone because when you've got a hole in your soul, which is what the younger son has got, you can spend everything you've got. You can have, it, it doesn't matter if you're Jeff Bezos and you're the richest man in the world. There's not enough money to stuff into the hole in your soul and fill it. And this younger son blows through a, one third of everything his father's family has probably built up for generations, then it's all gone in a short period of time because he can't fill that hole in his soul and then notice and isn't this the way life works as he runs out of money he might have even said well I can still somehow get by but at that precise moment a famine strikes have you ever noticed life kind of works that way when you've made a foolish decision and it's like but I might get by okay and then something outside your control comes in and it just compounds the foolish decision you've made and it's not that Necessarily, like, you know, God is conspiring against you. That just seems to be the way it is. Because normally, when those rough moments hit, we get through them okay. But when I have really played the part of a fool, like the young son, there's nothing there to protect me. And so he finds himself, he has no money, and then a famine hits. And so nobody else is even able to help him. And he finds himself utterly destitute. So he has to hire himself out as a menial servant. But notice what Jesus does here. This is so pathetic in the sense of This, this ought to draw out our compassion towards this kid he not only has to hire himself out as a servant but what does he start working with pigs what are pigs to a jew i mean i mean this is the lowest of the low this is like you know in in china today when they capture prisoners one of the things that they've done and they've done this in north korea they send people down into pits to muck out and it's full of human waste. This is the kind of job that it would be for this kid. This is the worst possible job. Everybody hearing this story in their culture would repel from this. He's not only near pigs, he's working with them. He's down there in the muck and it's so bad for him, he starts looking at what the pigs are eating and saying, that doesn't look too bad. He is is being transformed and changed the longer he is with them. I mean, he is sinking lower and lower and lower. Jesus is telling us this because by the time you come to this point in the story, they can't imagine a person being in a worse position than what's happened to this young man. Now what I want us to do is I want us to step back for a second before we come to the resolution and ask ourselves, why did he get in this mess? What's going on in his heart? What does Jesus want us as potential younger sons to learn about why he got there? And there are four things that I think are going on. First, the younger son's problem is that he is restlessly searching to find his identity and his joy in possessions rather than in his father. What's the very first thing we hear out of his mouth? Give me my stuff. I need my stuff because I'm going to be happy. I'm going to find who I am once I have my inheritance. I can't wait because I can't be who I am until I get my stuff. He's more interested in the possessions than he is in the Father himself. And so this is why he makes this horribly rude request because when you are in the grip of greed, you don't even realize how horrible you're being and the way you're treating other people. You just take it for granted because all you can do is be consumed by the desire for the possessions. But friends, our identity and joy are found only in relationship with God, not even the things that God gives us. Make no mistake, the Father is gracious and kind and prodigal. He gives to the younger son. But the younger son's identity and joy are not found in things, even if they're things that the Father has given him. There's an old hymn called The Sands of Time Are Sinking. And in this hymn, it talks about uh, where we find our identity and joy and how it's not in the things of this life and this world because the sands of time are sinking and we're heading to another world. But even in heaven, listen to what these lyrics say. It pictures us in eternity, And it says, the bride, us, eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. For the lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. True joy, true identity, even in heaven, is not in everything else you will have. It's in seeing Jesus. It's in beholding God. It's in knowing him and being known. And see, this is the younger son's problem. It's not that he got an inheritance. It's that he thinks his identity and his joy is in that stuff. Now, he's got a second problem, and this is, that he's restlessly searching to find his identity and joy in experiences rather than the father. Why does he want the stuff? Well, we find out. He doesn't say, I think I could manage it better than dad and I'm going to set up and do a business. What does he do? He cashes it in. He goes to a faraway country and he starts trying to buy experiences. He starts having parties. He starts doing things and he's doing it because the possessions are merely the means to experience his while living. That's the only reason he cared for it. But the problem is, just like possessions, experiences do not deliver the promised joy. And if I could say this is important for us to understand because if if you study our culture right now, many people are actually calling our economy the experience economy. What people are increasingly spending their money on in America today in 2019 is buying experiences. That's what I want. It's not stuff that I'll have. In the, in the past, people thought, if I can just buy cars and houses and things like that. But today, increasingly, people are buying experiences. But you know what? They do not deliver any better than possessions do. And in fact, they've got even one thing that's bad. If the son had at least bought more stuff with his money, he would have stuff at the end. But now he's got nothing, a memory of whatever went on. Wasn't that a wild time? Wasn't that a great time? But now I'm starving. Because experiences do not deliver either. And this is why he doesn't stop before he loses everything and returns home. Because what he's interested in is more and more of these experiences. If you've ever read um, the old classic, uh, The Odyssey by Homer, the old Greek tragedy, there's a scene in it where Odysseus is returning home and they know they're going to be going by this island and there are what are called the sirens. And these are these mythical women who have this song and if you hear the siren song you are so drawn to it. but what you do is you destroy yourself in the quest of trying to get to the sirens it it destroys the ship and Odysseus wants to hear the sirens but he doesn't want to go so he has the guys lash him to the mast in the ship so that he can kind of do that but see here's the problem when you hear the sirens call of experiences you keep going but it always ends in your destruction It never brings the joy in life that it promises but just destruction and despair because the quest for joy through wild living and experiences gives you diminishing returns. This is the sad part. You start out and you get a certain experience for a certain cost and you get a certain thrill out of that but the longer you go, the more you have to pay to get less and then the next day, you pay even more to get even less. Until you wake up and you find that there's no longer any joy in it at all, you are simply a slave. If you've ever been enslaved to alcohol or drugs, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what it is that I'm talking about. And it's actually the lesson, if you want a biblical book, read the book of Ecclesiastes. The teacher there tells us, hey, I had all the wealth and all the riches, and I tried to find my identity. I tried to find my joy. I went out and I experienced everything there was to experience, and at the end of it all, it's meaningless. It brought me nothing. Now, the third thing the son is doing is, notice he not only thinks he's going to find it in stuff, and he thinks he's going to find it by the experiences that stuff can give him, but... The younger son is restlessly searching to find his identity and joy apart from the presence of the father. He could have taken the inheritance. He could have sought experiences and done it next door, but he doesn't want to do that. He wants to get as far away from the father as possible because rather than thinking identity and joy are found in the father and in the presence of the father, he thinks they are found precisely apart from the father. And the further I can get away, the more identity and joy I will find. So he goes away to this distant country. He's not even near it. And his restlessness keeps leading him to places farther and farther away. It's like breadcrumbs, and he keeps running after it. And the more he goes, he's getting further and further and further away. Until he wakes up, and he is so far from home, he's an exile. And that's precisely the way it is the track that I'm going to find joy apart from God never circles back and leads you back to God. It always keeps leading you further and further away, promising you're going to get there eventually until you wake up and you're sleeping with the pigs. That's exactly what goes on with the youngest son because our identity and joy are found only in relationship with God, never apart from it. St. Augustine. The, the great early church father, was a guy who did many of these same things. He was a younger son. He was restless. He was searching. He did it intellectually. He did it in experiences. He did it in all this. And Augustine, at the end, came back and said, this is one of his prayers, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Rest, joy, identity, meaning, freedom, are found in the presence of the Father, not apart from it. But the son thinks it's apart, so he's off and away. And then the last thing that's going on here is, notice that underneath all of that, the younger son misunderstands his father. He doesn't know who the father is. He finds the father's presence and will to be constraining rather than freeing. Why does he want the stuff? Why does he want these experiences? And why does he think he has to go away? Because being near dad, being who dad wants me to be, uh, is making me a slave. And we're going to see the older son actually feels the exact same way. They don't understand their father. And he thinks, the younger son thinks, that what freedom means is being able to make his own choices indulge his own desires and his passions to be free of his father's wishes and desires does that sound like our culture today Oh, see we have we have defined freedom as i get to choose what i want when i want how i want and that's what freedom is but jesus says no that's not freedom that's actually slavery What you think is freedom is slavery. Notice in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees, and they say we're free, and Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. If you and I make the unfettered choice to sin, you are not experiencing freedom. You are selling yourself, and so am I. we're selling ourselves as slaves freedom from the will of God is slavery the worst form of slavery that possibly exists and this is because we were made in the image of God and so giving ourselves to anything that is contrary to God and his will is actually enslavement if if I were to go out and run 20 miles First off, I would probably die in the effort at this point in my life. But if I were to do that, and at the end, somebody came and offered me water, and I said, no, I'm going to be free. I'm exercising my freedom to not drink any fluid. What's going to happen to my body? Is that going to be freedom and joy and health and flourishing for my body? What if I proclaim, but my body's different? This is the way I am. Fluid is harmful for my body. Is it going to make any difference? No, because drinking is freedom for your body, because that's how your body was made. It was made to need water. And you were made to line up with the character and nature of God. You're the image of God and so am I and so fleeing from that and going away and proclaiming you're going to find freedom you end up with the pigs and suddenly pig food starts looking like good food not because you were made for pigs not because you were made to eat pig food but because we've we've warped ourselves in the process we've actually become slaves and so Rather than what the younger son thinks, what he should find out is the father's will and law actually produce freedom, joy, and blessing. Obviously, in this parable, the father represents God, and we're the sons. Notice what James tells us about God's law. When you say, if I go out on the street today and say, what do you think about God's law? How many people would say, I think that's freedom? Is that what Americans think? But look at what God says in his word. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. The law of God does not produce bondage. It produces freedom because the law of God is a reflection of who God is, which is found in all of creation. God didn't make creation contrary to himself, and we are the image of God. We're not made contrary to that. So you find freedom in the presence of the Father, in doing what the Father calls you to do, not separate from it. And this is why God actually, when he, when he gave his law, he told his people that he gives his law to us for our own good. That's why he gives it to us, not to god's not sitting around bored and trying to be capricious and just saying i just want to boss you people around his will tells us this is good for you this produces freedom this produces blessing this produces joy this gives you the shalom and the rest that you were created for and this is the opposite of that and it doesn't matter if i declare oh no for me it's the opposite for me That that law of God is bondage. No, it doesn't matter how much you say that, it's not true. And so that's where the younger son finds himself. And for us, it's the same thing. When we rest in the Father's presence, hearing and doing his will, it produces freedom, joy, blessing. And when you don't, and you're the younger son, it keeps driving you further and further and further away. Now let's go back and pick up the story, because this is why the son has done this. But I want you to notice, even though he has misplaced his identity, he has misplaced his joy, he has misunderstood the father, he has wandered off, and in the story, he decides he's going to come home, and he's still covered in the stench of the pigs. How's the father going to respond? Well, the younger son's salvation is when he eventually awakes to his problem. Notice in verse 17, I love the phrase, when he came to his senses. In the Greek it's literally, he came to himself. He woke up. This is what being woke truly looks like. Not not what our culture is saying being woke is. This is being woke right here. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death? I've realized, man, even if I were a slave back home, it'd be way better than this. Even if Father's law was bondage, it's a much better bondage than what I'm experiencing right now. That shows that he's finally waking up. So he awakes and realizes what a fool he's been and that even the hired hands have got it better. So he then repents and determines to throw himself on his father's mercy alone. Notice verses 18 to 20. I'll set out. I'll go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, it's not my fault things turned out this way. Is that what he says? Father, my older brother has never understood me, and that's what drove me away. See, No. Father, I have sinned against heaven, against you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And he gets up, and he goes to his father. Now, I want you see, this is being presented to us as a pattern of true repentance. This is what repentance really looks like. He realizes joy is found with the father, not apart from the father. He recognizes his own sin, and there are no excuses. As long as we are making excuses, we've still not really come to ourselves. We're still not really awakened to what's actually going on around us. He comes uh, to his senses, stops the excuses, and just says, look, I made destructive choices, and it's my fault. He recognizes the depth of his sin. For those who were here this summer, when we looked at Psalm 51— It's the same way. A truly repentant heart, if anything, maximizes its own sin, maximizes its culpability. Show me somebody who's somehow trying to define it down and it wasn't that bad. They still haven't understood. They still haven't really come to repentance. And he forsakes his quest for false freedom and he returns to his father and says, I'll hire myself out as a slave to my father. That friend's is a picture of true repentance. It's a change of heart and mind, an acknowledgement of the extent and depth of our sin, a turning from our current behavior, and a definite, specific return to the Father. That is what repentance looks like. And then, what does the Father do in the story? We're not going to take a lot of time, because this is what we spent the whole last week on. Does the Father say, well, okay, you go live in the barn? with the other servants. Is that, is that his response? Well, let me think about it for a while. I want, how about if you grovel some more? Does he even let the son finish the speech? Now, see, the father is open. The father throws his arms around him. I mean, you've got to picture how undignified this is. He runs towards him. Again, the son is nasty and dirty from where he was, and he's traveled all this way. The father doesn't care. My child is home. He receives the son immediately and completely. This is grace. And it's how God responds to us. Now, how do we apply this? What does this mean for you and me? We obviously in this parable are mainly meant to ask ourselves, where do I stand as being a younger son or an older son? The father is God. How do I see myself? Now, some people here today, some people listening, are more like the younger son. And if we look back at our life, we see a restless quest, always trying to get to something else, and we usually see a a wreckage of relationships that we have destroyed along the way. Some of us are more like older sons, and we're going to come back to that next week. But everybody can have both tendencies in them. So today we're mainly going to focus on younger son. And what I want to drive at is, again, why the younger son did what he did. Because you may not be in a distant country. You may not have been rude to your parents saying the exact same thing. You may not have woken up with pigs this morning. Doesn't mean you and I aren't on the path of the younger son. The real question is, in what areas are my current thoughts, desires, and actions indicating that I think true freedom and joy, my real identity, are found in something other than God? Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw up a few things here that it might be. And many of these, you may notice as they come up, relate back to the wealth and, I mean, to the, the, the vices that we looked at about a year ago. Because that's what we want to get at is not just the fruit of individual sins, but why are we doing what we're doing? Because if we don't cut that, even if you're a younger son in your home right now, you'll find yourself wandering off again. So, first one, what about wealth and possessions? This was obviously the first thing that happened with the younger son. And We live in a culture that tells us, you know, the the bumper sticker, right? He who dies with the most toys, what? Wins, except for what's the real truth. He who dies with the most toys still dies, right? There's no joy in just having the most toys. But, We believe there is. Jesus actually identified, if you remember in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about mammon. Mammon was a god of wealth and possessions. It was actually a god in the ancient world that one could worship. We may not have a statue, we may not recognize that as a deity, but boy are we tempted to believe that wealth and possessions define who I am that wealth and possessions will give me the ability to find joy. But they can't. They absolutely can't. In fact, we found very often, you know, if you look, you know, one of the stereotypical or prototypical things is, how do most people who win a lot of money in the lottery, how does that story usually end up? Some of the biggest ones, you can go out, you can just Google this later, and many of them will say, I wish I would never won it. My life got far worse. After that. Wealth and possessions cannot deliver joy or identity. Second one, what about food? Now, you know, wealth and possessions is greed, food is gluttony. To go back to the thing, think about that. Is there a temptation if you ever found yourself? See, and you can be you can be thin as a rail. You can do this a couple of ways. In fact, food, it could be anorexia or it could be eating too much. It means I'm dealing with my problems by food rather than going to God. Stress comes on, I eat. Or stress comes on and I don't eat. But what I don't do is go to the Father. I try to use food to medicate my problems away. A third one, alcohol or drugs. This one's obvious in our culture and you can see it. I literally try to numb myself to what's going on and I think if there's just enough alcohol and drugs. This was actually my story when I was 16 or or 15. I I had found myself at a school. I wasn't particularly popular. I wanted to be more popular, and then I discovered if I just drank, everybody thought I was funny, and then all of a sudden I was cool. And so I just went off on a couple-year of binge of drinking and smoking dope and doing stuff because I thought that was going to make me popular. That was going to give me what I was looking for. Thanks be to God, in the middle of that, he revealed himself to me, and I became a believer and stopped all that foolishness but we can get off on that path. And this one is very easy to see that the longer you go down this path, the more enslaving it becomes. So many people use alcohol or drugs. A fourth one, sex. This goes back to the root vice of lust. This is all over our culture. You can see pictures, and there is nothing said. I mean, you know, he, he died a couple years ago, and I pray in his final moments he, he found grace and repentance, but. How how disgusting was it to look at Hugh Hefner at like 88 years old or whatever he was, and he's got all these women around, and I was like, dude, this this started being, I mean, it was bad at the beginning, but it went into hyper-creepy mode like 30 years ago, and I don't even know where we are now. But see, he had this hole in his soul, and he was just convinced, if I can just sleep with the 10,000th woman, that's going to fix my problem. It doesn't. It never fixes it. But that's what people do. And it's not just men do it. Women can do that. We can use that. Another one is relationships. Now, relationships are actually good. We're created for relationship. But see, there was nothing wrong with the possessions that the father had. It's what the son did with them. I can use relationships and make people my God. I can only be happy. I can only have joy. I can only be who I'm meant to be if this person relates to me the way I want them to relate to me. It's not true. Your identity and your joy, my identity and my joy are to be found in God, not in something else. How about entertainment? I'm just throwing up a whole list. Entertainment. Now, our culture does not particularly like entertainment, so this probably doesn't apply to most of us, right? I mean, we don't try to entertain ourselves out of everything, right? So that's absolutely what we do. We, we completely live by this. And if I can avoid other things as long as I can have entertainment. Or we can do the opposite, work, Is there anybody in here who is tempted to find their identity in what they do? Work is a good thing. It was given to us by God. It was never meant to be my identity. It was never meant to be my joy. And people will consume themselves with work. One last one is reputation. Do I care more what other people say about me, or what God says about me. Because I don't care if you are Jesus, the sinless son of God, a large portion of people will not like you. They will not have good things to say about you. Remember this parable started because they were muttering about him. So if the sinless son of God can cause multitudes to mutter and not be upset and not like what he's doing, what are the odds I'm going to skate through and have everybody like me? I mean, they're less than zero, right? You, you can't have But see, I can sell everything to get my reputation to have this way, but none of that's what matters. What matters is that I'm in the presence of the Father, that I'm finding freedom and joy in being who God has made me to be. So what I want us to, to do is to ask myself as I look at these things up here, When we look at it, which of these things are the the one or two that leap out to me? And am I willing to become truly woke, to be like the sun, and to come to myself and say, you know what? In the depth of my heart, whichever one it is, entertainment, work, whatever it is, I think that thing's my identity. And if that gets removed from me, I'm shaken and I don't know who I am. Listen, just to use that one, this can strike any of us. I've had two periods of time in my life where I have in tears looked at my wife and told her, I don't think I'm very good at being a pastor. I don't think I'm good at what I'm doing, and I'm not sure how to identify myself in light of that. And wrestling. And friends, that was not a, Linda says, oh, no, it's okay, your identity's in Jesus. Oh, all right, everything's good now. That was long periods of wrestling and and saying, my identity's being wrapped up in the wrong place. So, am I willing to acknowledge it and to repent and to return to the Father? And so, I want you to think about this for a moment because we're going to pray in just a moment, but I'm going to give us a little homework for this week. Sit down this week and think about these things and ask myself, where am I really trying to find my joy, my identity, my freedom, my meaning, other than God? And maybe it's not even on this long list. Maybe there's something else that the Holy Spirit's bringing to your mind. But what is that? And then, like the Son, what am I going to do to get up and get out of where I'm at and where I have found myself? And how am I going to get back to the Father and realize that's joy? That's rest. That's peace. That's who I am. Because again, God is like the Father. He is waiting, He will run, He will meet you, your sin, no matter what it is, and if it's something different on the list. None of it is going to be too great where the father's going to say, Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you smell. I don't want any of that. That is not going to happen to you. Older brothers might do that. And we'll come to them next week or come to ourselves next week. God will never do that. He is longing, He is waiting. The question is Will I awaken? and will I turn and realize whatever it is I'm trying to use it'll never work it's the siren call and if I keep finding it I'm gonna keep wrecking the ship and we're gonna keep being stranded and it's gonna keep being destruction it'll never be joy. why don't we stand together and we're gonna close with prayer and I want to encourage you today, begin your trek home, whatever it is. And and this is not me saying, hey, I'm close in the bosom of the Father, and I don't ever have these problems. What's your problem? We all face this. We all find these tendencies. So let's turn. Let's go back to the Father. He is gracious. His mercy is more than your sin. He is waiting for us to return home. And let's ask the Lord to give us, even if it's small, a growing desire, a growing understanding that our joy, our uh, identity is found in him and not these things. Let's pray. Father, even though probably my tendency is more like the older brother, I find these areas where, like the younger son, I find my heart wandering and restless. I find myself thinking this new thing will will let me be who I am. If I can just do this or be this or have that relationship or get this person to respond to me that way, then I'm going to be at peace. Then I'm going to have deep, lasting joy. And then, Father, I wake up and there are pigs to the left and pigs to the right and stench all around. Father, we don't want to do that. Lord, we don't want to buy into the lie that our way is the right way, that us Having unfettered choice and running after it is going to produce joy because it never does. Father, would you in your grace hear our prayer of confession and repentance? Would you in your mercy cleanse us of our sins and root out that deep desire of sin within us? Father, would you renew our minds and reform our desires? Holy Spirit of the living God, when we are tempted and when we hear the sirens call, Lord, would you help us to stop up our ears? Would you help us to be so lashed to you and your will that we would not wander? Lord, we sang the song this morning, where we sang, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Father, we all recognize that. But Lord, right now we continue on with that hymn and we sing, so Lord, here's my heart, take and seal it, seal it for your courts above. Lord, would you take our heart, would you seal it, and would you work? I pray for every one of us, Lord, that in any area, even if it's just the small beginnings of wandering, you would show us. Lord, not so that we can earn salvation. We were, this, this young man was already the child of the Father before he went off. He didn't need to do this wandering. We are yours by grace, not by our obedience. But Lord, we want to obey because it produces joy in your heart and because it's for our good. Lord, would you mold and fashion us to be that way? By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to speak a word of benediction, and this one's the most common one out of number six, because what you need and what I need is the presence of our God. So I encourage you, receive the blessing of God's presence to fill your week this week. May the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go forth full of the presence and blessing of our God. Amen. Amen.